almost ready for a brand new season of the Hippie Witch Podcast, complete with a shiny new theme song, which is my personal favorite so far, by far, by far, by far. I love it so much. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Peace, love, and all that good shit. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Hippie Witch, season six. That was a good one. Hello, thanks for joining me for episode 528 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including links to Maya Toll. Author Maya Toll, do you know? You do know, you do know. Even if you don't recognize her name, you know the work of Maya Toll. I am willing to bet that you have at some point in your book nerd journeys, come across one of her books, the crystallary, the bestiary, the herbiary. They're so beautiful. You have to pick them up when you're just cruising through the bookstore. You have to, right? You have. You probably have one on your bookshelf. I'm so excited that we get to kick off season six with this amazing wild witchy woman. She is a delight. She's an absolute delight. I had so much fun talking to her. And more than that, I feel like she kind of gave me a free therapy session and helped me through a rough time. We recorded this back in July. And I'm actually not sure if the information about her new book is even accurate because back then the release date was the 26th. And we spend some time telling you, you should pre-order this in time for Halloween, for Samhain, October 26th. And I just went to go grab an affiliate link because I'm a nerd like that. And I like those little pennies when you click on one of my affiliate links. And I saw the release date is December 7th. So I don't know what's going on with that. I know that the publishing industry is a hot mess right now, but... Also, I know this conversation stands on its own. It's so valuable. I think you're really going to get a lot out of this. And so I'm not even going to ramble. I am not going to ramble. I am going to thank the wonderful people who support the show over on Patreon. They are the sponsors for this episode here today. So thank you all. I want to give a special shout out to new patrons, but I actually don't know where I left off. So (laughs) we might have a little doubling up here and I might just stick to first names because I know not everybody wants to be called out. So thank you very much to Brandy, Sheila, Laura, Amy, Alessandra, Amanda, Lee, Millie. Hey, hey, Millie. Welcome back. Karen. And welcome back, Elizabeth. Thank you all so much for supporting the show over there. I am going to be working with sponsors here on out because earlier this year, I passed 2 million downloads of the Hippie Witch podcast. And I was like, what the heck? Why am I not working with sponsors? (laughs) I have played around with it a little bit in exchange for the headphones that I'm wearing on my head right now. But... I'm really interested in monetizing this thing, so I hope you don't mind. Sometimes the episodes will be sponsored by patrons, and I am so happy to give them a shout out because they're really the foundation that forms the community for Hippie Witch. They are who I interact with the most, and they're here supporting the show month after month, whether it's just by tossing a dollar into the hat or supporting at one of the higher tiers. If that's you, I hope you're getting a kick out of all of the content I create over there. 
I'm also thinking about adding voicemails to the show so this can be more interactive and I can speak to you all because that's something that I love to do over on Patreon. There's a tier there called The Brave where it's kind of a Q&A type of thing and I thought that would be so fun to do here. And I've heard other podcasts use voicemail something rather before so I'm going to look into that as well. We're just going to take Hippie Witch to the next level in season six, I hope. That's what I'm going for. I absolutely love that new theme song. I don't even care if you don't like it. I love it so much. It just popped into my head late at night. Last night, I sat down and recorded it and then giggled my ass off. I let my son add that little bit at the end because he really, 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 really loves to be involved. And you all seem to enjoy that. So it is what it is. And here is the interview with Maya. I hope you love it. Hi, Maya. Welcome to Hippie Witch. I am so thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun because I have 10 million questions and I know we can't (laughs) get to them all in an hour. There's no way. So why don't you just tell people who don't know yet? It's hard for me to imagine they don't. But if they don't know who you are, who you are and what you do. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing that. I, I can always talk so freely. And all of a sudden I'm like, who am I? I guess I and did. I, I kind of put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that, I mean, truly, isn't that what we all do? And isn't that what we're all like, I think, trying to explore magic and the seasons and witchery. Like we're trying to figure out who the heck we are. So I'm a person who has been figuring out who the heck I am for the past couple of decades. And in that time, I've I've studied herbal medicine pretty seriously, gotten really into various forms of of ancient mysticism. And at this point, I'm really focused on sharing that knowledge through books. And so I've written uh, a series of books called The Wild Wisdom Collection, which starts with a book called The Herbiary and goes into The Bestiary. Next one's The Crystallary, which are the three ancient medicine kingdoms. And I have a book coming out in October called The Wild Wisdom Companion that will tie it all together and show you how to use that information on the wheel of the year. The Wild Wisdom Companion. I have had the privilege of getting a little peek at it in a digital format. I cannot wait for people to get this book because one of the things, the thing, the big thing that actually brought me to a place of being like, I'm going to publicly declare myself a witch and walk this path in all sincerity. It was the wheel of the year. I just did a wheel of the year. I just felt like it. You know, I was into listening to some witches talk about their practice. I wasn't in the market for a religion of any kind, (laughs) but walking the wheel of the year was such, I mean, doing it a spiritual walk, really engaging with the seasons and having a a sensual experience of each season, deliberately listening to nature. It changed me. One year of that changed me. And really tying into what you said at the beginning here, what I found is it started giving me back to myself. I started losing layers of conditioning and getting closer to this thing, this me that is like underneath all these layers. And I'm still, I'm still (laughs) (laughs) trying to get to that center, but I have a greater sense of it. And your book will do this for people in a really beautiful way. Oh, thank you. It's, It's so interesting to hear you say that because that's my experience as well. Like I was, I was, and I have to say, I still am super resistant to some of the exterior forms of being a witch. Like, you know, when I cruise around on Instagram and things like that, I'm like, I relate to that, Mm, but I really don't relate to that. So sometimes the languaging and the imagery can, can throw me off kilter. But as soon as I go back to living in a cyclical way, whether that's the moon cycle or the seasonal cycle, I start to get closer and closer to who I am, regardless of the words, regardless of the images, regardless of all the the fluff and stuff that we pile on top of this concept. And the the dogma and the arguing and your witching wrong, like all of that goes away if you just really ground into your connection with nature and let that be what it's about. 
Yes. Because truthfully, that's what it's always been about. You know, I think that if we go back a couple thousands of years, witches were simply people, the people who lived in sync with the seasons. And because of that synchronicity and because of that really conscious, like working with what the earth was giving, they then learned how to use things like herbs and crystals and, you know, animal energies and things like that. It, it wasn't that they studied it in a book. It was that they went out and they lived it and it changed their lives the way it changes our lives when we let it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back then, thousands of years ago, probably everyone to some degree was tuned into nature because they were so reliant on it and in a co-creative relationship with it, they had to be. Whereas now the way we have evolved or devolved, however, you know, a mix of the two is (laughs) we've really separated ourselves. So we actually need these way showers because somehow we got lost. We got lost up in our heads and technology and it's amazing. Like all things there, there's the light and the shadow in it. Right. Absolutely. You know, I remember in high school when we were doing like themes in English literature and it was, I I remember the teacher saying man against nature as a Mm. theme in literature. And I was like, what? Like, how can that even be a theme? Cause we are nature, but exactly like what you're saying, we have gotten so disconnected that we don't see ourselves as one with anymore. We are, see ourselves as separate from, and, you know, interacting from a very different place. And so if you can get back to that one with, and when I say that, you know, I've lived in New York city, you live in LA. I'm not talking about building a yurt in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) I'm talking about this sense of change and cyclicality that is part of all of our lives if we just pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen stories of people living in horrible conditions in a jail cell and they just had like a tiny little window and that was their solace because they were able to watch the light. Yep. And that's and it- nature. I think if you're going to pit man against nature, which we have done, you pit man against mankind. You, you, pit, you pitch humans against themselves. Yeah. And and then I think you really start to get to why we feel so disconnected from ourselves. We have been literally pitted against ourselves. Absolutely. Yep. And I love that your work gives that back to people in such a gentle, playful way. You know, you just happen to be in the bookstore and this book, it's like (laughs) eye candy. You know, you have to stop. It is the law of book nerdery that you must stop and pick up this book and smell it. (laughs) But then, you know, the content is so gentle, but confident is kind of the way it feels to me. I feel like I'm with a confident guide who is not trying to impress me with a bunch of bells and whistles, but just take me on a journey. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate hearing that because, you know, I'm always looking at language as a writer. And like one of the words that I find so fascinating is influencer. Everyone's trying to be an influencer. I don't, I don't want to be an influencer. Mm. You know, I want people to have information so that they can make good decisions. I don't need to influence anybody. And so when I sit down to write a book, my goal is always just to present what I know in a way that is engaging and straightforward and enjoyable. And then people can take what works for them and leave the rest and um, not feel slimed, you know? Oh, that's a good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have a personal agenda here. I'm very curious about faith and trust. And I'm a person who it's so strange that I'm in this space because I have a lot of skepticism, which really boils down to a lack of trust. And I think that's a wound from the religion I grew up in. And then kind of waking up and being like, none of this is true. Oh my God. You know? And then like, (laughs) you have an extraordinary amount of faith and trust that I find extremely aspirational. I admire it, but I don't have it. 
I don't. I, some days I do, and it feels great, but I have to really brace <laughs> myself to step into the unknown. How did you get this way? Were you born this way? I wasn't born this way. I wasn't born this way. And just listening to you is, it's lovely because it's, it's where I was for, for such a long time, you know, and for me and to me, the answer is you, you know, you go back to the cycles. I think that I grew up also in a religion that did not feed my soul. You know, I don't need a God who smites. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and um, I had this, it's, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm working on a memoir. It's a couple of books out, but I, so I've been tangling with all of this in my writing. So I'm so glad you brought it up because I really had this feeling both that like everything I was being fed did not resonate, was not true. You know, I was the kid in synagogue that like my, I would talk a, a book inside my prayer book. And so I'd be sitting reading a novel and my mom would grab me by the elbow and drag me up and down as the rabbi said, please rise. And, you know, like anytime that there was a prayer that um, was extolling God, I would be whispering under my breath, like, like, this is bullshit. <laughs> my mom'd be like, shh. So um, I, I had this not only aversion, but strong need to be vocal about my aversion. Mm. Um, like straight up through, through my twenties. But yet at the same time, I was reading fantasy novels and like magical worlds and looking for, for something, you know, like I was, I was looking while at the same time screaming the word atheist at the top of my lungs. Mm. And in college, I, I studied philosophy. I also spent some time diving into religious studies I spent a lot of time in the back stacks of the library looking for the hidden book that was like, when you pulled it out, all the answers came tumbling from it. So I, for a long time, I balanced this belief that there was nothing to believe in with an incredibly deep yearning for something to believe in. Yeah. You know, and like both of those things existed side by side and, and the, the public face was the screaming atheist. Um, the private face was the seeker, you know, digging around in the back of metaphysical bookstores, just looking for something that rang true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause there's a lot out there that like on the surface, it's shiny and you move toward it and you're excited. And then you dig a little deeper and there's some like icky pants guru behind it. Yeah. An icky pants guru. <laughs> I know, right? <sighs> you know what's interesting? I do, I have faith in certain things, and I literally have the most patient spirit guides ever. I just, <laughs> I don't know why they put up with me because I'll tell you, every time I pray, my prayer is answered in the most miraculous way. It's shocking. And if I ask for guidance, I get it. And I still don't. I mean, I will turn to that because it has been reliable, but I still struggle with that. Like I, I have convinced myself that I can figure everything out, everything out with my brain. My brain shall control everything. And it doesn't <laughs> work. It and doesn't I'm, work. I'm 47 years old. When's it going to stop? <laughs> you have such, I mean, you, I think I asked specifically about faith because you have faith in things that I do not like crystals, for example, and you have relationships with these things. I heard you somewhere talking about getting into relationship with a rose, like sitting there, like yeah. I will not get up until I have an experience, you know, and developing this animistic relationship with the world that I'm definitely moving into and have these profound moments. But I look at someone like you and I'm like, well, she's just fully in this world and believes it and it's real for her. And it seems to be working out. All right. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Do you like, would you use the word faith when you're talking about your friends? You know what I mean? Is friendship a religious experience? Is friendship a faith experience? I would say on the whole, no. So like, I don't really have faith in a crystal. 
But I do know that when I hold one in my hand and shut off all the other shit that's going on in my life, that I can begin to feel something that's different from what I normally feel. And if I continue to tune into that feeling and guide it a little bit, you know, cause I do think that, that when we're interacting with energies outside of kind of our usual perception, we have to kind of guide a little bit, like how am I going to instruct my brain to interpret this energy that's coming in? Mm-hmm. Right, because it's not visual, obviously. We know how to interpret visual energy. It's not audio, like I'm not listening to the crystal. So I'm picking up some energy from the crystal and I have to kind of, you know, instruct myself a little bit. Like, like, okay, where do you feel this in your body? Hmm. What do you think that means? And then like, same thing with dreams, like what pops up first? Okay, I'm going to go with that, you know? And so in a lot of ways, I think of it not as faith, but as relationship and conversation. So just like we're sitting down right right now and we don't know each other well. So we're kind of asking questions and feeling around and trying to read each other's energy. Same thing. I don't need faith to do that. You're really good at this. <laughs> you know what got you know what got me is when you compared crystals. You didn't exactly compare them, but right off talking about crystals, you started talking about dreams. And I'm like, oh, my dreams are sacred. They always have messages for me. And I have a vast crystal collection and I was super into it. But then I got into that headspace of is it the crystal or am I just playing imaginary games with myself, which both are useful. That's the interesting thing about it. But having that thought can sometimes take the magic out of it for me. It totally can. It absolutely can. And so I, you know, I, I have those thoughts too. And I usually just kind of say to that part of myself, like, okay, gotcha. And we're not going that way. I feel like I've got many different personalities residing in my brain. And I get to choose the one that rises to the surface because the truth is the one that is always like kind of skeptical and snarky. She doesn't doesn't have a happy life. (laughs) I've lived that out and she doesn't have a happy life. So why does she get to run the show? She doesn't. I I listen to her and go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. That's nice. All right, sweetie. I, you know, got it. And now I'm going to go play with my crystals because it's fun, first of all. But second of all, it allows me to get out of my head, away from that part of myself that has to be so intellectual and follow the breadcrumbs of the universe to somewhere else. Now, I, my personal feeling is what those breadcrumbs allow you to do is change your perspective. They allow you to see a situation from a different angle, to imagine yourself as someone you're not and then see what would happen. It's not that I think that, you know, there's this, um, how do I say this, like smiting God. There's, I, I don't think there's some overlord that's, you know, has a big old plan for my life and the crystals are gonna tell me what it is. I, I haven't replaced the smiting God with the crystals. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, but what I do think is that the crystals and the tarot cards and the plants, their energies are different from mine. I mean, like a rose's perspective on the universe, so different from mine. A crystal's perspective on the world, I mean, like they've been around for thousands upon thousands upon billions of years. So if I can allow myself to feel that energy and see what interpretations of it rise up for me in the moment, then I get to have a different experience of my own life. And I get to change my life in ways that I might not have thought of on my own. Speaking of following the breadcrumbs, I would love to hear your following the breadcrumbs story, because I feel like you got to where you are today in a really holistic, organic, unfolding way by 
doing this thing. I was in a really deep meditation the other day, and I just was very frustrated with myself for all the reasons I just shared. And I, and I, it was like, just help me please, you know, like, (laughs) and the message I got was so clear and I felt it, you know, when you get a message and it's not just a passing thought, it's just like a little electric shock. It was step to the edge. And I was like, I don't want to, but I heard, <laughs> I heard it and it's been haunting me ever since. And I feel like you're a person who's not only stepped to the edge, but you're, you've developed a comfort level there. Yeah. I like, I like edges. You know, I mean, if you think about anything you've ever read about magic, it happens at interstitial times in interstitial places, which is another word for an edge. Mm right? Magic happens at the transition point between day and night. They go do your rituals at dawn, go do your rituals at dusk, right? Interstitial spaces, a doorway, the the beach where the ocean meets the land. Um, These have always been spaces that are considered magical to us because they're edges. And an edge allows you either to straddle two different ways of being and seeing in the world or to take a leap, both of which I think really, really push you. So for me, I I think the big turning point and the, the turning point that taught me to step to the edge was, uh, when I was in my thirties, I was living in a town in upstate New York. I had a couple roommates. I had a great old Victorian house. I had like, I had a dream. I had a pretty sweet life. Like I, you know, I loved my jobs. I loved my community, loved my roommates. And it all started to unravel. And I was watching it unravel. And I'd been doing enough shamanic studies, magical studies, mystical studies that I was like, okay, I have a choice right now. I can see this as a pattern unfolding and I can step into the pattern and be a part of it or I can resist. And I knew that like, you know, (laughs) resistance is futile, that like I could resist, but I was only going to hurt myself and it was all going to go down anyway. And this is, I think we're living like cyclically and on the wheel of the year is so helpful because you can't stop autumn. Like once the leaves start falling, there ain't shit you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, if you go with it, you know that the wheel's going to turn and you're going to come around into something else. But if you, if you resist it, I mean, you're just making yourself crazy. You're just hurting yourself. You're, you're going through an action that takes so much energy and is so useless. So I'm super grateful that I was far enough along in those studies that like, I was like, Oh, I, I feel this, I get this. I'm, I'm in an autumn, like this is dying. Hmm. No matter how much I love it, this thing is dying. And so I went with it. And the way that I've described it is seeing a little, little boat on the river and you have that choice. Like, are you going to get in the boat? And if you do, you're going to go where the river takes you. Or are you going to, you know, work your way along the bank and weed whack and, and do it yourself? And I stepped into the boat and through a crazy series of events, including a dream, um, I ended up in Ireland studying with a traditional healer. And that's when I really got to like take this in on a bone deep level, when I got to have a full year of living on the land with someone deeply immersed in this lifestyle and, and there was no one else around. So and, it was and a herb closet. I have to add because I'm really <laughs> in love with the idea of that herb closet. Yes. Are that you, do you was... have Irish ancestry? What drew you to Ireland? I do not have any Irish ancestry. I am a hundred percent Russian Jew. Um, I, I've always loved like myths from that part of the world. So, you know, it was in my consciousness, but the dream was really clear. I was flown across the ocean. I was shown the island of Ireland and I was told this is where you need to come to be initiated. And this is an actual dream you had? Actual dream. Mm -hmm. 
And you just, yep. this is what I'm talking about. Some people would have that dream and be like, interesting. They might write it down in their dream journal. They might <laughs> analyze it with your friends. And you're like, I guess I need to go to Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Well, but remember, there was a larger momentum. This dream came as my life in my wonderful little Victorian house with my two roommates was totally unraveling. So, you know, I was looking for what's the next step. I was seeing the unraveling and being like, okay, this is ending. What's, what's going to happen next? So there was already that level of awareness and willingness to uh, take something under advisement, you know, mm -hmm. when, when the dream came in. And I, I also think that when you have a dream that totally aligns with what you want to happen or what you think is going to happen, that's probably just your subconscious working through its stuff. But when you have a dream that is so outside of anything you thought you were going to do, dreams have different textures. You know, I think there are, there are these yeah. dreams that just, they have more weight. They have more reality. Yeah. I, I have a, a teacher of Cherokee lineage and, um, I dreamed that we were going to, to work together before we did. And when I like applied to study with him, I, I mentioned the dream. And so we got on a phone call to talk about, you know, whether I'd be accepted into this program. And I was kind of at the end, like, okay, so if you accept me in, and he said, we already agreed to this in dream time. Why, why are you even still thinking about it? And had you? Well, in the dream we had. Oh, wow. right. Well, that's and, and a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's interesting, like to, to have people who have crossed my path, he's not someone who's actively in my life, who believe that what happens in dream time is as real and as binding as what happens in like waking reality. That that shifts things, you know, that shifts the way you think. Mm -hmm. And because you're willing to honor that, to step to the edge, to follow your intuition. Now you have multiple books, Oracle decks, two shops, and you mm -hmm. teach, you do something. I think you're still doing this called witch camp every fall. You're doing yep. a lot of things and you have a team of people that help you do this. And I'll bet that you had no vision of all of this back in that Victorian house, or maybe you mm. had an inkling of it, but oh, how, could, no. how could you lay this all out? <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. And, and, you know, here's the thing back to that, like scream, I'm like, I'm screaming atheist at that point. Oh, I'm, you still were. I still was. Okay. All right. I mean, I was, you know. I was exploring and my good friends knew that I'd kind of started taking some shamanic trainings and some like dabbling, dabbling here, dabbling there, trying to see what else was out there. But like, when you talk about faith and belief, -uh. <laughs> there was none of that. It was just, you know, dabbling, trying, experimenting. But there was that moment where it clicked, you know, where I was watching my life fall away. And I was like, okay, how do you want to handle this girlfriend? Like you got, you got a choice right now. Are you going to, to step into all these teachings that you've been reading and hearing and, you know, or are you going to allow them to kind of remain separate from yourself and separate from your life? and do this the pig-headed way you've always done it. <laughs> I'm a fan of the pig-headed way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I used, to, I used to say like that you had to hit me over the head with a cast iron skillet to get me to accept like guidance, spiritual guidance, magical stuff. You know, like I, I had one teacher who was like, Maya, stop asking for the same thing four times because you're going to get beat up, you know, like I'd be like, okay, show me a sign. No, that one wasn't good enough. Can we have another, please? You know, like, yeah, you want to sign, about sign number three. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of that teaching that Oprah will often repeat about like life will give you a pebble 
And if you don't pay attention, I feel like hit you with a bigger stone and a bigger stone until you're finally like hit with a boulder. I feel like what you're talking about is you're like asking, show me a sign. And life's like, here's a pebble. And you're like, not big enough. Okay. Would you like me to drop a whole boulder on your head? <laughs> that's exactly. I, and that's exactly it. And I had so many experiences. I, I had this crazy experience. I, mean, I was in yoga class and I had just been to see a psychic for the first time. And I was like, that was bullshit, you know? And so I was like working through my, that was crap thing. And I'm in yoga class and she had told me I was an old soul. And I'm like, oh yes, we are all old souls. And we all want to be old souls. So I was like, okay, universe, if I'm such a freaking old soul, show me all my lives now. So I'm laying in Shavasana and like my limbs started to feel like they were different lengths from each other. Like I, I started to feel like this mismatched creature. And I started having like quick series of visions. Um, I was friends with my yoga teacher. And she told me afterwards that she like kept walking the room and she kept, as she would come to me, she felt like she kept having to grab my feet. Mm. And she said that she held my feet for a number of minutes. Um, she's like, I don't know what was going on, but you were not here. That's and so it, interesting. Yeah. And it was one of those moments where like, I couldn't drive myself home. I was a hot mess. I kind of said, I dare you. The universe said, okay, honey, here you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I yeah. think when I'm listening to you, I'm getting clarity around what I mean by faith. I'm talking about faith in myself and trust in what I know, because yeah. it doesn't always match the truth is what I, if I can Google it and that is in direct opposition to, you know, like, well, psychology says this is probably just, you know, like a figment of my imagination, like that kind of crap is to me, not only a sign of my lack of faith, but it perpetuates it. And it wastes so it just wastes time because I end up getting to the conclusion I'm trying to get to Anyway, I just feel like I have to do this very elaborate song and dance first. <laughs> I would like to stop doing the song and dance and be like, oh, <laughs> God's sake, just like do the thing. Well, I, I think some of it is accepting that it's all true. Yes. It's all true. That's it. Right? Yeah. So like what psychology says is true. All the stuff that you can Google is true. Your dream is also true. Your feeling is also true. So, you know, I, I just, like what I say to myself is the world is so much more expansive and so much more magical and so much more interesting than we know. And all I have to do to prove that to myself is read the science that is on that edge. I mean, science is discovering crazy stuff, you know. And sometimes things that people that have been talking about in the spiritual world for thousands of years. Yes. Especially yes. if you look at other cultures like China, uh, India, like a lot of the things that they've been passing down through the generations for thousands of years, science is like, oh, hey, there might be something to this. <laughs> yep. I, you know, I, I'm going to get this wrong. And it's one of those, I, like, I feel like part of me feels like I should say it imperfectly. And part of me is like, don't mess it up. But there was um, a study that was done. I think it was Padua University in Italy. It was one of the Italian universities. And essentially what they did was they sent a signal out into the universe and it was like getting bounced back. And there are different ways apparently to measure the bounce back signal. Hmm. It could be measured and I'm gonna make shit up now, okay? Like, like we're, <laughs> we're beyond the place where I clearly remember. But it, like, let's just say it could be measured as light or measured as audible wavelength. And what they found was that the scientist doing the experiment could choose at the very last moment whether they wanted to receive light or an audible wavelength. And that's the way the information would come in. What? What? That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. So they were, they were essentially watching information coming in 
you know, from distant stars and changing the way it would be measured based on how the experimenter wanted to measure oh, it. Gosh, so that's like the quantum physics thing about it, the, the experimenter affects yeah. the experiment. Right. Ah. Yeah. That's fascinating. All that does is reinforce the need to trust yourself and the guidance you're receiving because <laughs> it's almost like the universe is kind of meeting you where you are. Yeah. This, this is for you. And maybe you don't even need to verify it with everyone else because maybe they're asking the same question, but you're getting the visual and they're getting the sound and they're, you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And you know, when you get to the place where you're like, oh, but what if it's all just me talking to me? Mm -hmm. Well, you are a, a node in this larger weaving of the universe. You're not an individual entity. Like we'd love to think that, but you know, it's not true for a million different reasons from genetics to how we're tied to the earth just simply through breathing the air, you know? Yes. I mean, there's so many, there's so many, many uh, ways to come to the conclusion that you are not an individual entity, but part of this larger whole. So if it's coming, quote, from you and you are connected to the greater whole, then it's coming from the greater whole through you. So like, who cares if it's quote, a figment of your imagination? It's your imagination. Your imagination is connected to the greater whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and being it's all able, the same. Being able to trust your own whatever's coming through, I think is, is unique for people that maybe have had mental health issues or a lot of anxiety or depression or paranoia. I think building trust with that voice, there's another layer there. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, is this a delusion? Is this paranoid? Is this fear or is this intuition? And people ask me about that a lot. And I feel like you're answering that. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, going back to that sense of there are a lot of voices in my head and which one am I listening to? Yes. So, you know, when my intellect starts screaming and yelling about something, that's not the same as intuition. And so you, you learn over time to kind of parse out the voices and you're like, oh, that's my intellect. Intellect doesn't do intuition. So whatever she's saying, it's, it's actually not into intuition, right? So um, I lived outside of New York City uh, when the Twin Towers went down and you know, the fighter jets were flying overhead and it was like crazy pants time. And it was also the time that I was really learning to hone my intuition. And I kept having all these like false positives where I'd, I'd have this moment, I'd be like, oh my goodness, there's gonna be anthrax in the subway or, you know, whatever it was. Like I'd get myself all, all hyped up yes, yes. about something. Yes. And it really took me a long time and a lot of anger like I got very angry at the universe. Like, why are you, why are you telling me things that aren't true? <laughs> I was telling myself things that weren't true, you know? And it, it took a while to start to be like, oh, okay, hold on. I was reading about the fear of anthrax in the subway. And then I went into meditation and my brain was still working on it. And I didn't get like any hits in my body. All I had was brain chatter about anthrax in the subway. And I decided that was intuition. Mm, no. Where does intuition hit in my body? How do I feel it? Once I started to identify that, then I could be like, oh, that's intuition. That's not, that's not, that's not. This is why I think the timing of your book is so perfect because, you know, right after 9-11 happened, we all, I think, uh, many of us went through what you're describing because it activated, it was traumatic. Even if you were nowhere near it, you were yeah. certainly a part of it in some way through the news and just people talking about it and those images that we saw again and again and again. And I think a lot of people's wires got crossed, but also it was just such a part of the culture. Everybody was afraid of everything. And I feel like we just, we're still going through a time of that. And, you know, with this pandemic that happened, I feel like this is why the issue of faith and trust really came up for me, because I realized 
I was just getting a lot of clarity. I was letting a lot of things go. And I just uncovered this little thing that had been shaken from the pandemic. You know, like nobody can agree. All the experts are fighting. Who's telling the truth? And it just kind of pushed me into this place of examining that piece of myself. And I think now we need something like a container (laughs) to go forward and to rebuild trust and faith and our sense of safety. And what you've laid out with this new book is a wheel of the year process that's so gentle and playful, but also practical. And it's presented as like a year long experience. What did you say? I wrote this down somewhere because I thought it was so cool. Here, a question. What would happen if you gifted yourself a year to willingly suspend your current belief system and let a new one take root? Yeah. What an invitation for right now in this moment in time, you know? I, 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 I hadn't put all those thoughts together for myself and I really appreciate hearing you say that because we, we are shaken in the same way that we were shaken after 9-11. Like, you know, for those of us who lived through that, there was so much um, conflicting information and we were talking about stepping into a major war effort when there wasn't even consensus on what had happened, who was responsible and where they were based, Mm -hmm. right? And so now we're in a similar situation where we've been at war with this, this virus and the, the same misinformation, conflicting information, uh, and we're all living in that swirl. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like we need that moment of coming back to ourselves and, and a path to do it. And um, wouldn't it be beautiful if this book helped people with that? Oh, I'm certain that it will. And the thing about nature is you can surrender to nature. You can kind of lay your ego down and let nature hold you. And you do that just by listening, just by observing. It's deeply healing. Just the simple act of doing that for 15 minutes, much less devoting a year just to flowing with the seasons and paying attention to what happens and what messages you receive. Yeah. And it's simple. And you, so don't, simple. Ha- and you don't have to have faith. Right. But you can develop it. That's the thing. <laughs> you can develop, you can develop it. But I, you know, I do think it's just so important for people to hear, like, you don't have to believe in this. You just right. have to do it. Experience it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a thing I love about this book too, is that you divide the seasons because I used to lead a wheel of the year program and I was trying to make it non-denominational, you know, so people who aren't Wiccan, for example, they could be like, I get what this is. And so I named the cross quarter days transition. So we have right now recording this, we're coming up on Lamas or Lunasad. I would call that autumn transition. And it leads us into, to me, in my personal opinion, the worst part of summer. <laughs> the, 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 the final days of summer where it really gets cooking where I live and everything starts dying. And it, 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 it tests me every year. But when I think about the way you've divided the seasons, you're talking about early summer and late summer, this is so useful and it's an experience I understand. Yeah. And it's, you know, I also like, I I have some of those like Celtic holidays, like Samhain really stuck for me for reasons of what happened in Ireland when I was there on that day. Um, But a lot of the words don't, don't mean much to me. You know, like um, people are always saying things like, oh, happy Beltane. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, that's nice. (laughs) Like, like that is, that's not um, a word that I have deep relationship with, but I do have deep relationship with the sense of transition. So I love that you were using, you know, those, that neutral language because it allows us to be ourselves on the wheel of the year. Instead of trying to be somebody else or, or pick up some culture that's not quite ours or that we have no relationship with. Yeah. I mean, I remember that being intriguing 
and confusing and just very foreign at first. Some of the different names. Of, I love it now. I think it's kind of fun and celebratory to celebrate Imolk. It's it's cool. I'm I'm cool with it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I relate to that transitional period. It's like okay, now we're entering into the six weeks where we're going to start saying goodbye to this season and start moving into this one. We're kind of neither here nor there, which reminds me of. What you were saying earlier about liminal spaces or the edge is what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And there are lots of edges within the year. You know, right. there are lots of these places where we're, we're in a bit of transition. And the thing about a transition is anything's possible, mm-hmm. which makes it scary, but it also makes it pure magic. Yeah. Are you willing to not know where you're going at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's part of being on the edge. Yeah. And I I think it's, it's pretty much the story of my life because the truth is whenever I've made a clear cut plan, it doesn't work anyway, (laughs) or, you know, it works in the, in the short term, but it doesn't work in the, in the long term. So, um, I think living on the edge to me is, is really exciting. I think the, the danger is pushing the edge, Mm. Um, you know, kind of being in that space and just like shifting your hips, shifting your weight, gliding with it. A lot of the things that happen on the edge are not like terribly dramatic. They're subtle shifts, you know, like the shift from day to night. If you go from noon to midnight, that's a dramatic shift. But in the moment of the transition, if you watch it, it's very gentle and very subtle. And so I I think that there is something in our culture that loves drama and that wants being on the edge to to always be this like big dramatic leap. And sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's putting one foot on either side of the line and just kind of dancing with it. Yeah. I think in my own experience, when I look back, I think of these as tower moments that have happened to me a couple of big ones. Um, You know, when I live on the edge, when I'm just allowing myself to be guided, it's like you were saying about that transition time from day to night. It's very gentle. I might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm I'm aware that things are changing. When I refuse the call, Like I refuse, (laughs) I'm like trying to hold the shore and the ocean together. And it's like pulling me apart and I won't let go to either life will come in and be like, here's a little tower moment and it'll shove me. And then I suffer because it's hard. There's a boulder on your head. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But I know this is true. I I've been on the planet enough years to know this is true, at least for my own life. So what you're hearing here is me talking myself into just trust that trust that experience. Cause if you don't, you know, maybe it's a generosity of life that it will finally just be like, okay, you just need a shove. Yeah. And isn't it fun to think of it as a generosity of life? Like you actually don't get to waste your life. Right. Eventually you'll get a kick in the pants in the right direction. Yep. Yeah. I have another little weird thing that caught my attention in your book that I wanted to ask (laughs) you. It was something, you said something about when you were 12 years old. I feel like you wrote it in a journal. You wrote down something about don't trade happiness for security. I did. I wrote it in, I wrote it in the, the front of my journal, like my big message to myself at the, at the beginning. Um, oh, wow. Like I'm just thinking about the 12 year old that has that thought and puts it yeah. at the front of your journal. Would she be proud today? She would be, she would be pretty, pretty proud. I think that they're like, she was more of the rebel child. Um, she kicks and screams a lot more than I do. So I'm sure there are some things that she would kick and scream about. You know, I think that one of the things that, that I've learned actually from living on the edge is that compromise, right. Between like the, the two different things that you're bridging, like you have a choice on the edge, you can be the bridge. And if you're going to be the bridge, then you have to be willing to compromise a little bit, or you can take a hard line and be on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at 12, 
there was no way I was compromising. I had, there was nothing in me that could be the bridge. What did she want? I think she wanted to hop in a time machine and like either go back in time and be a knight of the round table or a spy during the French revolution. Like she really wanted, <laughs> she wanted a life with a cause. Oh. Like she wanted something to fight for. She, she wanted to fight and she wanted fight to have meaning. I feel like you have a cause without the fighting that you found a way to give people back to themselves gently, just a, uh, just a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? I think that that's that idea of being able to be the bridge. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? And leading by example too, just by walking, just by walking your talk, you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And allowing other people to find their own walk, which is not always easy. Like I'm a bossy pants, you know, <laughs> like people in my life will tell you, I have an opinion about everything. Um, so I try, you know, I, this is a discipline for me to ah. leave space for people to have their own thoughts and opinions. I feel like in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you know, my partner, my best friend can say to me, you are being pushy, leave off. But like, you know, on Instagram or whatever, I, I don't want to push someone into something that's not their path. I'd rather give them some information, give them some tools and let them figure it out for themselves, which people don't like that. You know, it's interesting. Like I work very hard not to tell people what to do and people really want to be told Just what to do. Tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh-uh, that's not well, the way it works. Speaking of being pushy, yeah. I am I am a pushy book pusher when I love a book. I, I can get really pushy about it. And, <laughs> and you told me your book is coming out on October 26th. But here's right. the thing. That is, I am pushing people right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-order this book because... Well, I know Amazon does this. I don't know about everybody else, but when you pre-order a book, it often will land on your doorstep as a little treat a couple of days before the book is officially out or it will get there on the day of. And I would encourage you to do this because this wheel of the year, you can start at any time. But the way it is laid out in your book is it starts really with Samhain. Yes. Which is so witchy. And so I'm like, everybody pre-order the book. So you get it in time to like read that chapter and really get excited about launching this year. Yeah. It'll, it'll put you right into that, like October 31st, November 1st. Yeah. And off you go. Um, the other thing is the pre-orders are so important for authors. If you love an author, any author pre-order their books yeah. because it, it affects like where they're going to be placed in bookstores Amazon ranking, what interviews they'll get, whether they'll make the New York Times bestseller list, like all of that is predicated by pre-orders. So yes. like any author you love, go pre-order their books. And authors are not rich. Okay. I used to think <laughs> if you had a book on the shelf, you had it made. I know for sure this is not true. And I learned what you're sharing right now through my audience. They are awesome pre-order people who have shown me exactly what you're saying. It's really important to do this and they will get behind a cause, which I love to see. And my 12 year old self loves anyone who will get behind a cause. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So where do people go online? Just for people listening, I'll of course link to everything, but if they're listening yeah, yeah. on the go, what's the quickest, best way to find you? Quickest best way is my website, which is myatoll, M-A-I-A-T-O-L-L.com. And then all the, all the social links are there and, and everything else. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. It's a fun afternoon. Treat yourself. <laughs> <laughs> lots of, lots of clicking will take place. You have an Oracle deck for every book, don't you? There's an Oracle deck in the back of every book. That is the one that comes with the book. It's a book. And then it has just a little for fun perforated Oracle deck in the back. If you want like a real deal deck, like the gilt edges, the heavy, whatever, you need to order the box sets or in November, all my books are, are going to have like a separate deck that's like high quality, good, yummy how, deck. 
How exciting. I love that it's all part of the same world too. They all go together. They all go together. They look like they go together. They're all the same artist. Does it look like you when you look at them? You're like, I feel this. I feel this world. This feels like my world. You are the first person to ask me that. And the answer is no. And that's right. So this is one of those crazy places where like publishing kind of does their own thing and you have to go along with it. I would say that that of the books, the Oracle cards that go with the Wild Wisdom Companion, the book that's coming out this year, that those are the things that are probably closest to feeling like me because over the years I've been like, can we please do a little more of this and a little less of this? But I this is my last book with my current publisher. And because of these books, I had enough of a name in the industry that like I'm moving to a new publisher. My new publisher is like, what do you want Maya? Anything you want Maya? We'll do it your way, Maya. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. So, um, so next year, I'm not allowed to announce the title or anything yet, but next year I have a book coming out and it's like, it is, it feels like me. I've already seen the art and the design and I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Not that the current books aren't amazing, but they just like, they it's don't a feel collabor- like me. It's a collaboration. It's a collaboration. It's its, it's own a- world. It's its own, you know, it's interesting. I've wondered, and I'm sure you cannot answer this, but I wonder how much of everyone's love for like the Hogwarts experience tied into this just because of the name of the books like the herbiary and the bestiary and the crystal cracking say that one crystallary crystallary it feels like oh I'm going to like a Hogwarts class you know I I wanted it to I wanted it to because I feel like for those of us who grew up you know reading reading those books and we we got a story but we didn't get an education right and so I wanted people to be able to get like the information that feeds that story. And I know JK Rowling has said some stuff lately that, you know, has put her on shit lists. Yep. And speaking of, is she, you know, reflected in her world? It's almost like the Hogwarts experience is its own thing. And that's exactly what I was going to say. There's this thing that happens when a world is created and you become the channel through which it's expressed. Like I would literally sit down at the computer and be like, okay, plants, who wants to be in the book? And what do you want to say? Oh, and then I would take dictation. So like, you know, people say, why did you write this? I'm like, I have no idea. Ask the plants. Um, And I'm sure that JK Rowling had a lot of the same thing where like the world comes through you and you're separate from it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to say, I do a lot of interviews. This one was very special to me. There's so much in here. I can't wait to listen to it. I don't like listening to myself, but I'm definitely, there are moments where I was like, remember that? Remember that? Okay. Yes. This and this. I'm so excited that I got the opportunity to chat with you and I can't wait to see what's coming next because it sounds like it's going to be exciting and new. I always, oh, go ahead. I was about to say, it is all those things and it will tickle your little Hogwarts tickle spot too. (laughs) Okay. Well, I always end with the same question. Just answer whatever comes top to mind, which clearly won't be a problem for you. (laughs) What is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Mm. Pause. Hmm. Whatever you're doing, just just pause so that you can tune in, so that you can feel your body, so that you can untangle all those little threads that, you know, run through your mind. Like give yourself a pause. Yeah. So that you can move forward intentionally. And maybe make that space to receive some guidance and to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. This was amazing. Amazing. She said it was amazing. It was amazing, right? Isn't that such a good conversation? She is so cool. I absolutely love, love, love this interview, especially because I edited it months after recording it. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
she really is giving me a free therapy session. We ended up doing a whole month devoted to the theme of Stepping to the Edge over on Patreon in August. And that feels like a million years ago, but I just really needed to go there for myself. And I got a lot out of this theme, which was partly inspired by this interview. So I hope you got something like that out of it too. And until we meet again, there's going to be lots of fun new interviews coming up. Many of them are already recorded. So I will be back at you very, very soon. Happy season six. Happy fall, y'all. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, happy spring. Much love to you. Peace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.